0: Hey, a couple of announcements. Uh, first, this morning, the parking lot's pretty full. Part of that is because we have a, 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 nice, a nice crew this morning, but part of that's because the Summer Street Garage is not open, and that's where I park, and usually three or four other cars that get here early park there. So um, when you're leaving, be careful. Uh, you know, We don't want to get any insurance claims. Uh, everything's fine, and just be aware that there's a lot of cars back there when you leave. Um, Secondly, Molly mentioned this in the announcements, the health challenge for the holidays. I really hope that you will uh, consider being a part of that, and um, January is a big time for our our health team as we we gear up and lead the Bible study, so uh, we'll have more details on that soon, but I'm excited about that. And finally, I have an announcement that's pretty pressing, December the 8th. On December the 8th, there's a lighted boat parade and uh, I think Christmas tree lighting downtown. And so we have decided to, that evening, after all those festivities, open up the theater for a family movie night. Or a movie night, I don't care what we call it. uh, Where we show a Christmas movie, uh, a family-friendly Christmas film, and have hot cocoa, and just enjoy each other, and enjoy the folks that come out. And so um, I'm I'm sort of telling us about it now because that's in like three weeks. Uh, we will be sort of posting on social media soon. We haven't yet because Katie uh, is in the process of making this legal. Um, we don't want to illegally do anything. And so Katie's in the process of making a uh, the film for our uh, fellowship here legal. And so uh, as soon as that's green lighted, which it certainly will be soon, we will start posting and you can share it with uh, your friends on Facebook or your neighbors if there's neighborhood sort of um, Virtual bulletin boards or whatever neighborhoods share. We have some program. I never get on it. It's like our dog's missing and Lila's found. By the way, that's good. Yeah. Um, I think that's all we have for announcements this morning. So let's go ahead and open our Bibles. Uh, you probably already have. Actually, there's one other thing I wanted to mention. Uh, pull out your phones r- briefly. We did this in membership class, and I forgot to do this when we got back from India, but now's a good time. Pull out your phones and, or you know, the, I know they're already out anyways. So uh, just just grab it. And if you go to your app store, if you have an iPhone, you are uh, most likely going to heaven. Um, If you don't, um, I mean, you can reach your own conclusions. Um, But look up uh, NPL, NPL, no place left. I think it's NPL India, something like that. What is it? NPL Prayer. NPL Prayer. Find it. Uh, Download it if you can. Sometimes the service in here gets a little weird. Um, But if you can, download it. And it'll take you to an option um, to select a state in India. Select Madhya Pradesh, M-A-D-H-Y-A, Pradesh, Madhya Pradesh, the state that we uh, work in. So So you'll get there. You'll download it. You will select Madhya Pradesh. And then you will, um, it'll tell you some cold hard facts about Madhya Pradesh. Pray for Madhya Pradesh, a state with over 82 million people, 82 million people, and less than 0.3% who truly know Christ. By praying daily, you'll help be a part of a targeted initiative to ensure that every corner of this state is saturated in prayer until there's no place left that has not heard the gospel. Make a simple commitment to pray for one minute each day, you'll get a reminder notification and a customized and relevant prayer request, and click Pray Now to begin. So you'll, you'll get there, that's some of the hard facts about Madhya Pradesh. Just for context, when we first started working in Madhya Pradesh about three years ago, there were 77 million people in the state. That's how quickly it's growing. So uh, you'll get there, you'll click Pray Now, Now I'll just talk us through this. And he'll say, pray for Kambara village in multi-subdistrict of Betul district. Over 1,025 eternal souls live here. Pray for the Lord to send his spirit and prepare a house of peace. Send bold laborers who will fearlessly and broadly share the gospel and cause that house of peace to become a multiplying church in this place. And so you pray, you'll hit pray now after you see that. And at the end of that, well, that's, that's why we've, we've been praying. You'll click, I've prayed for one minute. And say, thank you for praying for Kambara. Help us meet our goal by praying again. And then you can pray again, whatever. Oh, yeah. Holly texted me. Do you want us to select the districts Danielle told us to? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what were they? Betul. Um, Betul? Okay. Betul and Ray what? Um, R-A-I-S-E-N. Raisin. Raisin. Looks like a raisin. <laughs> so look for a word that looks like a raisin. It's in the advanced settings. When you go to the advanced settings up here in the, the top. Well, okay, we'll figure it out later. I just wanted to get that on your radar. Um, it's something I want to incorporate in our discipleship groups, um, something I want you to have in your sort of personal study time. It's a way we can strategically be praying for villages uh, in in India, where the, we're seeking to take the gospel to, and it's really exciting. So um, I realized I hadn't shared that with you, and so I wanted to kind of briefly share that, and we'll we'll workshop that more uh, in the coming weeks. And come up to me after the service, and we'll get your phone all figured out. So Galatians chapter five. We are almost at the end of our study through the book of Galatians. Last week we did the first part of the chapter, verses one through uh, fifteen. And then this week, we're going to pick up in verse 16 and go through the end of the chapter. I think chapter 5, verse 1, you could make a good case, is the thesis statement of the entire letter to the Galatians. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. If you've been following along, and if not, let me catch you up really quickly. The Galatians are having all kinds of problems in their fellowship. There are deep divisions. There's interpersonal conflict. But there's one really, really big problem, and that is false teaching has worked its way into the church. There are some among them who are saying that to be a Christian, to be a follower of Jesus, you have to be circumcised. You have to be circumcised. And Paul is teaching the Galatians that if they submit to these false teachers— and be circumcised because they're trying to garner favor with God, then what they're really doing is submitting again to a yoke of slavery. Paul says that if you accept circumcision because you think it helps you keep the law, if you accept circumcision because you think it helps you please God, then Christ will be of no advantage to you. Jesus is your righteousness, Galatians. He has freed you. And this morning, Paul is going to continue to flesh out how we then live in light of our freedom in Christ. He'll pit the works of the flesh against the works of the Spirit, reminding the Galatians that Christ has crucified their flesh and they must simply walk in the power of the Spirit. Paul is gonna talk about this relationship between the flesh and the Spirit, enumerating the massive difference between a life led by the Spirit and a life lived in the flesh. But Paul is not pontificating. He's not developing an exhaustive list of good things and bad things, forming an airtight system of Christian ethics. He's not on a pedestal simply proclaiming what good Christians do and what bad Christians or, at worst, fake Christians do. He's addressing a real church full of real people with real problems. He's urging for a cessation of pride. He's calling for truth. And love and humility to defeat heresy, hatred, and pride in the Galatian church. He is calling God's people to live not by their flesh, but to keep in step with the Spirit. And that's the call I pray we hear this morning. This morning when you leave, I pray you leave more equipped to walk in the Spirit. To submit to His authority over your life and embrace His presence in your life. And I pray that the evidence of God's dwelling would be obvious in your life, in my life, and among us. Let's start in verse 16. Seems logical place to start. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh, for those are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Those are verses 16 through 18. We'll call verses 16 through 18 the Spirit and Flesh Binary. The Spirit and Flesh Binary. Just so you know where we're going, verses 19 through 21, we'll call the works of the flesh Verses 19 through 21, we'll call the works of the flesh. And verses 22 through 24, we will call the fruit of the Spirit. Then there will be a final admonition in the last few verses. But those are the three major uh, segments of today's sermon. So Paul begins with a conjunction and a command. The conjunction is what? But I say, but I say, so obviously Paul is hearkening back to the, uh, the ideas in the text that we preached last week. But I say, walk by the Spirit. He's just told them not to be obsessed with one another, not to fight with each other, not to bite and devour one another, not to be consumed by one another. And so, in response to that, he says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. So, he's given them a command in the previous text to love each other, to not um, bite and devour one another, not to be consumed with conflict among each other. And he's giving sort of the opposite of that. How can they obey that? He says, Walk by the Spirit. Paul begins with a conjunction and a command. But I say, command, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Well, if I walk by the Spirit, why does that mean I'm not going to gratify the desires of the flesh? Well, it's because Paul sort of pits the, the Spirit and the flesh as two warring forces locked in this mortal combat within the life of a believer, I say walk by the Spirit, you won't gratify the desires of the flesh. How is that? Why is that? Because the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. So Paul's saying to not gratify the flesh, you have to walk in the Spirit. So when you live by the Spirit, you're not obeying the desires of the flesh. Why is that? The text goes on to say at the end of verse 17, for these are opposed to each other. As north is to south on a magnet, right? So as flesh is to spirit. They are opposed to one another. To keep you from doing the things you want to do. That's some curious language there. To, To keep you from doing the things you want to do. This language might be curious, but it's not without precedent in Paul. I think of Romans chapter 7, verses 14 and 15. For we know that the law is spiritual. Paul says, but I am of the flesh, sold under sin. For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. As a general principle, I think this text teaches the Christian life is a struggle. The flesh keeps us from doing what the Spirit wants on one hand, but on the other hand, praise God, the Spirit of God in us keeps us from doing what the flesh wants. So, a big question, if we're going to obey this text, if we're going to dive deeper into this sermon, is simply this What's it mean to live by the Spirit? What's it mean to live by the Spirit? I think in Paul's vocabulary, it means to go where the Spirit is going, to listen to what the Spirit is saying, to discern His will, and to follow His guidance. To walk by the Spirit means to go where the Spirit is going, to listen to His voice, to discern His will, and to follow His guidance. I have a related question. How do I know if I'm following the Spirit? Not simply, how do I know I'm a Christian, though that could be a related question for sure. But how do I know if I'm following the Spirit? And I think Paul's answer would not be intensely theoretical and theological. It would be theological, but very immediate. Paul would simply say, look at your life and tell me what you see. Look in verse 19. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you as I warned you before, brothers, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. You might be fidgeting in your seat a little bit. You might say, I've done some of these things, right? You might say, this looks like a bunch of rules, man. If I wanted rules, I'd, I don't know what I'd do, but I wouldn't be here. You know, I, this, this looks like a bunch of rules. Give me Jesus, man. Don't give me these rules. I'm spiritual. I'm not religious. I, I don't worry about all this stuff. Why are you giving me all these rules that I have to follow? Here's what I'd say if that's you. And seeing those listed out in such a way gives you the, I don't know, the, 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 the heebie-jeebies. That's in my notes, heebie-jeebies. Here's what I'd say. Here's what I'd say. This is not so much a prescription from a pharmacist as it is a diagnosis from a doctor. This is not so much a prescription from a pharmacist as it is a diagnosis from a doctor. And what I mean by that is Paul's not saying, do these things prescriptively and you'll be well. Or, don't do these things, and you'll be well. Don't do all these things, and after you've not done all these things, then God's pleased with you. And because you've not done all these things, you'll then gain entrance into the kingdom of God. Like many, many, many unfaithful Bible preachers would say when they read this text. He's actually saying, if these things are in your life, then you might not be well. (laughs) The participle in Greek implies ongoing action, meaning if you are making a habit of these things, then you probably are not well. Sin is the diagnosis. Grace is the prescription. We get into trouble when we know sin is the diagnosis, but we think legalism is the prescription. Sin is the diagnosis. Grace is the prescription. And that could be argued as the overarching message of Galatians. So what do you see? What are the symptoms of a life? What are the symptoms of an individual life? And what are the symptoms of a fellowship, a church, where the flesh has its way? Well, let's go down the list he mentions. He mentions a lot of broad sins. He mentions a lot of things. I think he also speaks with a little bit of specificity because I think he's acutely aware of what's happening in Galatia. And so I think although he's being broad in this sense, I think he's also being somewhat targeted to the problems in Galatia. So this is what you would see, right, where the flesh has its way. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry. Idolatry, I think, is perhaps the most important one on the list because idolatry is what happens when we try to replace God with something else in our lives. Worshiping anything other than God is idolatry. Like, I don't worship anything. You know, I don't go to shrines and put incense down, or I don't um, go to another um, you know, religion's worship gatherings. But I would argue that we are tempted every day by our flesh to worship power, to worship pleasure, to worship comfort, and to worship the things the way we want to worship them. Sorcery, enmity. Enmity, we could say animosity. We could say ill will towards another. Strife. Jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, I follow Peter, I follow Paul. Be quiet, be quiet, whatever. Dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, or anything like these. Paul says, Galatians, I warn you, as I've warned you before, that if you take an honest inventory of the life of your fellowship, if you take an honest inventory of your life and you see, man, um, I'm more than just giving in to uh, sexual sin once in a while. I am repeatedly and intentionally going headfirst into sexual immorality and impurity. Or I cannot get on social media without being constantly jealous of the life other people are living. There wasn't social media in the first century, but we can go with it. Or I have a serious problem with alcohol or with escapism through any means of a, of a substance, right? I have fits of anger so often. Like, I, I always, like, you know, my wife or my dogs or my cat. It's understandable if you get angry with a cat. But, um, <laughs> you know, I get just really angry all the time. and It's like another person kicks in, and I'm not... Who I, who I feel I should be. If, if these things I see in my life over and over and over again, then I have to take an honest assessment, right? Am I being ruled by the flesh or am I being ruled by the Holy Spirit of God? Galatians, I warn you, if you look and if these things are true in your fellowship, then these things are marks of people who will not inherit the kingdom of God because the main idea of Galatians, don't trust in the flesh, trust in the spirit. These are people who won't inherit the kingdom of God because they're trusting in their flesh. They're doing whatever their flesh tells them to do. They're doing what feels right, what they think they should do, what they want to do. Church, I invite us corporately and I invite you individually to ask that hard question. Does the flesh rule my life? I'm not interested in what you've been trained to think. I'm asking what's real. Who rules your life? God or yourself? Verses 22 through 24. But the fruit of the Spirit, right? The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ, Jesus, have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Before we jump into the list, A fruit of the Spirit. Let's notice a couple things about the text. You know, God inspires the text. He inspires the words in the text, but he also inspires the form of the text. And I think we can learn some things from just the form of the text. Look at verses 19 and 21, and look at how chaotic it is. Right? It's almost like this rambling list. Now, the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, things like these. Right? There's this sort of chaotic nature of the text. And then look at the sort of the order of the next one. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. There's an order and there's a oneness in the fruit of the Spirit that's contrasted with the chaotic nature of a life ruled by the flesh. Also note the contrast. Paul says the works of the flesh, and he doesn't say the works of the Spirit. He says the works of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit. Perhaps Paul uses the term works to describe the flesh Because the works of the flesh are the products of sinful man working in our own sinful, conniving ways to bring about our desired outcomes in the world around us. Whereas fruit is just the natural occurrence of a healthy fruit tree or plant living. (laughs) It's just what happens when life is present. It's not the result of man's effort or of man's striving. So these are the things that we see When God is in the house. These are the things we see when God is in your heart. These are the things we see when God is with his people. What are these things? Love. Genuine love. Where you actually care about the other person. Where you actually kind of like the other person. And where you don't like the other person, but you're trying to like the other person, you're giving them the benefit of the doubt, you're trusting them, even if it makes you vulnerable. Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And because God never leaves us, these don't have to either. In other words, the fruit of the Spirit can bloom in seasons of a blessing and of strife. That's one part encouraging and one part very, very convicting. These are uncircumstantial fruit of the Spirit. A love that isn't just given when received. A joy that doesn't depend on everything going the way I want it to go. A peace that's not shaken by a change in circumstance. A peace that's not guided by a number in my bank account. A peace that's not governed by what other people think of me. A patience To love people who may be difficult to love because you understand that you, in fact, are also hard to love. A kindness. Uh, Johnny Hunt, an old Baptist preacher, is like the most Baptist preacher that ever preached Baptist in Baptist churches. And I heard him say something once that I resonated with. He said, I don't tip based on the service at a restaurant. I tip based on the cross. I don't tip based on service. I tip based on the cross, meaning I'm kind when I need to give it and when I don't need to give it. I'm kind with other people. I treat them well. I treat them with dignity. I treat them with respect. Goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. These are the fruit of the Spirit. These are the things that we see in our life when we submit to our Lord. Verse 24, the best news of the entire text today. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Basically, he has said, okay, here's what you see when the flesh has its way. Here's all these things that you see that that would mark your life. These things are what happens when your flesh is working and when you're just doing what you think you should do, having fun, forget it all, right? And these are the things you see over here where the Spirit of God is having his way, where he's living his life through you, through us, and we see his fruit, the reality of his presence among us. So here's what happens when the flesh rules, here's what happens when the Spirit rules, rules, and here's the good news for those who belong to Christ Jesus. He has crucified the flesh. You don't have to be marked by this list of stuff. This stuff can be a season. It can be an old chapter in your book. It doesn't have to mark your life now, and it doesn't have to mark your life in the future. He says because of what Jesus has done, he has crucified the flesh. So you don't have to listen to it anymore. He's killed your flesh. It has no dominion over you anymore. You can say, I'm not going to do that. You can say, I choose not to be bitter today. You can say, I choose purity over immorality today. You can choose that because God lives with you. And he's killed the flesh and its desires. I think of 2 Corinthians 5, 17, right? Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a what? New creation. The old has passed away, and behold, the new has come. Jesus has done what we could never do. We have spiritually died with Christ, and we are a new creation in Christ. And that is exactly what we're going to celebrate here in just a few minutes when we baptize Ritwick. Now let's look at a final admonition in verses 25 through 26. Verse 25. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. I, uh, I workshopped this text at FCA on Thursday, um, partly to study and prepare, partly to see what questions people might have. And I use an illustration that, uh, it's not the greatest illustration, but I think it, it helps see a little bit of, what Paul's saying, what he says, if we live by the Spirit, right? If we live by the Spirit, let's keep in step with the Spirit. It implies this sort of ongoing dynamism in our relationship with God, right? If we say we live by the Spirit, like let's keep in step with the Spirit. And I think about Holly, who is a way faster walker than me. Like I she jogs everywhere she goes. I don't know why. So I mean, like man, slow down. Like it'll be there when we get there. You know what I'm saying? And so I mean, she's like walking through the mall, and I'm like, Holly, back here. And so there's this picture of, you know, if I live with my wife, I need to kind of keep in step with my wife, even if I have to jog, you know? Like, and so I think life with God is kind of like that. Like if we live with God, let's keep in step with God, right? It's not just enough to say, hey, yeah, I, I live with God, but I'm in this ongoing life-giving relationship with God because I'm keeping in step with the Spirit, right? I'm not getting, um, I'm not getting sort of loose with my, my, my mind and my heart and my affections and my body, right? I'm, I'm keeping in step with the Spirit. I'm actively pursuing Christ. I think there are a lot of Christians who are sort of in Christ, who live by the Spirit, but who we, we, just, we just get on autopilot and we, we just don't keep in step with the Spirit. We're not intentionally trying to walk in Him and follow Him and be aware of His presence in our life. And I love how in this admonition... Paul once again zooms out and he applies it to the community. We have a habit in the West of applying everything individually, but so many of these letters that Paul writes are written first and foremost to a community, right? If we live by the Spirit, let's keep in step with the Spirit. Let's all of us keep in step with the Spirit, right? Like the whole purpose is that we be a people who lock arms together and sort of like keep in step with the Spirit so that when one brother or one sister is kind of lagging behind, their arm is linked with my arm, is linked with your arm, and so together we're following following Christ, we're keeping in step with the Spirit one another. Paul addresses the community of the saints when he says, let us not become conceited. What happens when we become conceited? When we become conceited, we focus on ourselves. And in pastoral ministry, almost every problem I see is an overemphasis on the self. Almost all problems in my life and others begin when I just start focusing on myself and fixating on myself and wondering how everything affects me, wondering how everyone thinks about me, and I'm occupied with myself, and it's a killjoy, and it robs the fruit of the Spirit in my life. Provoking one another and envying one another. The specificity here indicates that these very things were happening in the Galatian church. They were provoking one another. They were envying one another. And one of the things I love about the Bible, one of the things I love about Paul's writing is it's not just theoretical. Why are there problems in the church? Because God's people are submitting to the flesh and not the spirit. Why are there problems in the church today? Because God's people submit to the flesh and not the spirit. And Paul reminds the Galatians and I remind the West Virginians that your flesh has no hold on you because Jesus has crucified it. So let us then, right? Let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us follow the Spirit, and let us obey the Spirit. Worship team, if you guys could uh, go ahead and come on up. What we're going to do for the rest of the service is uh, the worship team's going to come. We're going to sing a song together, and then um, Ritwick and I, we're going to step back here to the uh, baptistry. I never know if it's a baptistry, baptismal. They don't teach you these things in seminary. They think you just know them already, I guess. Um, but uh, we'll step back here to the baptistry, and uh, the water is frigid, but it's okay. Um, the water is a little cold, but we'll get to baptize Ritwick, and I'm really, really excited about that. And, and as we baptize him in a few moments, uh, we think about that picture of the gospel, right? We think about the picture of being buried with Christ in death and being raised to walk in newness of life. And this morning, the big sort of good news portion of the text is that that Jesus has crucified our flesh. And and as we baptize Ritwick in this great moment in his life, I want you to think about uh, your baptism or the reality of your life. And I want us to think about how Jesus has crucified our flesh with its passions, its desires. And the old has has passed away, and the new has come, and man, I know it can be so tempting to look at the things that the flesh offers, because it can give immediate pleasure, it can give immediate comfort, it'll give immediate gratification, but man, it don't last. That God has freed you to not just live according to the whims of whatever your flesh thinks, that God has crucified the flesh and its sinful desires. And more than just crucifying them, He's replaced them. He has taken up residence in us fulfilling the prophecy we see in Jeremiah, where he says they won't just follow a written law anymore, but what's going to happen is I'm going to actually dwell in my people, and I'm going to remove their heart of stone, and I'm going to put in them a heart of flesh. And with this heart of flesh, they can love. They can love me, and they can love others. My laws aren't just things to obey because they need to obey them to be saved, but I will live with them, and I will show them that if you obey me, if you obey my laws, then you can see things that we all want to see. We all want to be people of love. We all want to be kind. We all want to have peace. We want these things, but we can't get them unless we submit to King Jesus. We can't get them unless Jesus crucifies our flesh. And we won't experience them unless we keep in step with the Spirit. Would you pray with me? Father, We love you. Thank you for doing what the law was powerless to do. Thank you for crucifying the flesh in us. Help us to keep in step with your spirit. Help us as a community to lock arms and keep in step with your spirit together. Help us be a place that doesn't tolerate enmity and strife and jealousy and fits of anger and rivalries and dissensions. Like, be be far from us, Lord. Father, make us a people who are marked by love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness with one another. Father, make that true of our fellowship by your spirits residing in us. May we corporately and may we individually say, I refuse to give in to my flesh. I refuse to think ill of my brothers and sisters. I refuse to envy my brothers and sisters. I refuse to lust after my brothers and sisters. I refuse to to, to divide over senseless things. I refuse to think the worst of my brothers and sisters. I refuse, Lord. Father, let's keep in step with you in prayer, in the word, in the gathering of the saints. And Lord, make us a people where the whole world may see your spirit lives in Christ.